Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is not silent, that you are a God who speaks. And Lord, we thank you for your word and the way it speaks about your son and his interaction with people on earth uh, many years ago. But Lord, we thank you that your son still interacts with us today. Lord, we pray that we'd be humbled as we listen to your voice now and hear about his actions and hear about those who interacted with him. And we pray that we may learn much about how we can live for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here, you would have uh, heard a sermon on John chapter 5. We started our series again in John chapter 5, and we looked at verses 1 through to verse 9, and how Jesus healed this man who was paralyzed for 38 years. Uh, He'd been lying there in Jerusalem, and Jesus comes along and says to him in verse 8 of John chapter 5, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And so last week we spent some time looking at the power of Jesus Christ and how it was displayed in the life of this man, uh, but is also displayed in our lives today. Now, we come to the rest of the passage uh, from verse 9 and following, the rest of verse 9 and then on to verse 15, and we see that in spite of this miraculous event, that not everybody is happy with Christ's work, that there is a problem with what Christ has done. And this is because the day that Christ's miracle was done was on a Sabbath. And so if you read with me from verse 9, I encourage you to have your Bible open before you this morning on page 1054, John chapter 5, verse 9. It says, At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked, and then an ominous sentence comes The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and some people have a problem with this. As we read in verse 10, it says, And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. The Jewish leaders have come to this man, seen him carrying his mat, and have an issue with him because the day is meant to be a day of rest. And they have a problem with this man for carrying his mat. And so they interrogate this man. And he gives some replies to them as they ask him about why he is carrying his mat. So in verse 11 we read, But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. The man hears that he's not supposed to be carrying his mat. And so he answers these Jewish leaders by saying, It was the man who made me well that told me to pick up my mat and walk. And then they continue their interrogations. Verse 12, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man uh, cannot tell them who it is because uh, Jesus has slipped away. We read in verse 13, the man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And then after this, uh, Jesus finds him at the temple and says to him in verse 14, see you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And then the man we see as he's found out who was the one who healed him, he responds by, in verse 15, it says that he went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So here we have a clash between authorities and their laws. Uh, Jesus heals this man But it doesn't take long before Jesus is in trouble and this man is in trouble. This incident really 
helps us to understand about different authorities that may be in our lives as they were in the life of this man. See, in our society, we understand that there are many people around us telling us what we are to do with ourselves, that there are many laws governing our lives. Some may be the Australian federal laws. For example, the Australian government at a federal level says you cannot remain in this country without a valid visa. They will deport you if you are here without a valid visa. And then there's, under the federal government, you have the state laws. An example of a state law would be thou shalt not sell certain substances within our state, and they will enforce it. And then, of course, at a local level, you have local council laws with laws like thou shalt not park your car in certain places without paying. And, uh, and so if you want to park in a particular place, you know that there's a law and you have to make sure you pay the parking meter or pay an even bigger amount at some point down the track. And then we understand that even in our workplaces, there's different laws governing how we are to behave in the workplace. Uh, for example, I'm sure in certain workplaces they have laws that thou shalt not be rude to customers, that you should always remember that the customer is right. And then, of course, growing up, you understand that there's laws in schools, that the teachers have their laws, and then the, the principal has his laws that govern the whole of the school. Uh, for example, I know that at Dremoyne Public, where my children attend, uh, there's a law that thou shalt not do cartwheels in the playground, uh, that they actually ban certain behaviours, certain games are banned uh, because the laws of the school, they have their reasons for doing it, and the children are expected to abide by such laws. Then in the home, you have people telling you what you can and can't do in your home. For example, in our house, thou shalt take your dirty dishes to the sink is a law that is enforced and encouraged, and if you don't do it, you can get in trouble. And then, of course, we don't just have laws uh, that are in the home, workplace, uh, from federal level, state level, council level. There's social interaction where people basically are encouraging you. They may not have much force that they can apply to you to keep their laws, but they nonetheless instruct you as to how you are to live. And you see this with newspapers. Newspapers often, mainstream media, are often telling you how you should behave, what you can and can't do. Interestingly, just last week, the Daily Telegraph here in Australia said uh, had a headline, and the headline was, it should be illegal to be a stay-at-home mum. That was the total headline. You can read the rest of the article if you want to Google it, but that was their headline. They're making a law. And they're saying that this should be the law of the land. It should be illegal to be a stay-at-home mum. That's one competing voice that we have in our culture. And, of course, there's laws governing social media. If you're on Facebook or Twitter, there's all kinds of things that you should and shouldn't do. And one more uh, hidden law would be that thou shalt always look good in your photos or expect not to be liked. Uh, you won't get a thumbs up next to your photo if it isn't a good-looking photo. But what are you to do when you have all these laws surrounding us, and many of them are good and helpful laws that we should be following, what are you supposed to do when they conflict with one another? When one group says, do this, and another group says, do the opposite, what are you supposed to do? Well, that's where John 5 helps answer that question. The paralysed man had just such a dilemma. He had one person telling him to pick up his mat and another group of people telling him 
that he should not be picking up his mat. He should not be carrying his mat. He was in a dilemma with conflicting voices and their laws. He had the dilemma of to carry or not to carry. That was the question that was raised for him. And so what should you do when laws conflict with one another? We've got so many laws in our culture. What should you do when they conflict? Well, that brings me to my first main point this morning. We should obey Christ as the supreme authority. We should obey Christ as the supreme authority. We should obey Christ's laws above all other laws. Now, that does not mean that you aren't to obey your boss, your parents, the government, your school teachers, because God tells you to obey them. But when there is a conflict between the laws of your workplace, the laws of your home, the laws of your society, you must make sure that you obey Christ above them. You choose to obey his laws rather than the laws of those around you. And that's what the man was essentially doing here in this text. When he was challenged about why he carried his mat, what did he do? Well, we see what he did in verse 11. Verse 11 of John chapter 5, it says, But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. What does the man do? He points back to the other person who gave him the law to carry his mat. And it's interesting how he describes that person. He says, the man who made me well. He's pointing to someone with great authority, at least a man that the paralyzed man is willing to obey. This man was actually able, Jesus was actually able to make him walk after 38 years. And so that shows that Jesus has reasonable amount of power, reasonable amount of authority, and probably should be obeyed. And so then when he's confronted about why he's carrying his mat, he points the Jewish leaders back to Jesus Christ as one who made him well. I'm going to obey this man because he made me well after 38 years of being an invalid. And so we should always remember that we should go back to people who seem to have greater authority than others. And of course, Christ is the one who reigns supreme. Just as you recognise that if you have a local council that's telling you to do something, and then a federal law actually conflicts with that local council, you have a right to disobey your local council, or even disobey your state laws if they conflict with a federal law. Because the federal law is the highest authority in our land. Now, why would you always choose to obey federal laws over state-level laws or local council laws? Well, one good reason is the higher up the food chain you go, the more pain there is for disobeying at that level. See, at a local council level, if you don't do one of their laws, what's the best that they can do? They can fine you. They might make life uncomfortable for you with some zoning laws that they can inflict upon you. But they can't put you in prison. So if the state and the council, local council, conflict with one another, you should obey the state. And it's the state, because the state can actually put you in prison, and the same with the federal level. You, they can put you away for even longer if you break one of their laws. And so the higher up the food chain you go, the more power is there and the more pain that can be brought upon yourself. And so this is why we must obey God, we must obey Christ over all other laws. Why? 
because God has the power to inflict the most pain upon anyone. Yes, it may be that the government of this land can inflict much pain upon you. But at the end of the day, the federal government can't put you in pain for eternity in hell. God has the ability to do far more to you if you break one of his laws than a federal government does or a state government or a local council or your parents or your school teacher. It's interesting that Jesus brings this up with the man. In verse 14, Jesus finds the man, and what does he say to him? Verse 14 says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What is Jesus saying there? Make sure you obey God because something worse may happen to you if you break one of God's laws. What's he comparing the something worse with? Well, it's obvious that it's a man's sickness of being an invalid for 38 years. And that's a pretty serious situation to be in. Imagine if you're put in prison for 38 years. That's a pretty serious punishment, let alone not to be able to walk for 38 years. At least in prison they let you walk around a yard and have some recreation. This man had been in prison to the ground for 38 years. And Jesus says, watch out. Don't sin, don't break God's laws because something worse than 38 years stuck to the ground could happen to you. What is he talking about? Well, the greatest thing that can happen, greatest pain that can be brought upon you is, of course, what the scriptures describe as hell, that place of eternal punishment. And so when we are conflicted with laws around us, God says this, Christ says this, and a human says this, who do you choose to follow? Choose the one who can send you to hell. Choose him and obey him accordingly. You are to obey Christ above all other lawmakers. Now that doesn't mean, as I said before, you go and disobey your parents just because they're your parents or your, your local council or your government. No, God tells you to obey those in authority over you. But when their laws conflict with God's laws, that's when you should make sure that you follow God's laws rather than theirs. So that means if Dad says we're going to steal some items at the self-serve checkout at Woolworths this week, we'll just pass them through. Don't you, you shield the camera from watching us or the staff members that's there. We'll just quickly run them through. They're only small items, just some batteries. That's okay. We'll just slip them through. These big corporations, they just write it off as an insurance claim in the end anyway, so it's not a big deal. You say no. You say no. Your authority in this area is superseded by God's. God says do not steal. This is stealing and it's wrong for me to do it. This means that if your boss at work tells you just lie to the customer, just tell them that the shipment never arrived rather than be honest that you never actually made the order in the first place for them. When they tell you to lie to the customer, you say, no, I can't do that because God's law is superior to yours and he says, do not lie. And so you should be prepared to disobey your boss because you know that there's a greater boss in God. This also means that if your friends pressure you to give information about other people, which is just clearly gossip, you say, no, I'm not supposed to be a gossip. 
God is the one who I follow ultimately, not you and the social pressure that you put upon me. Because I know that the social pressure that you put upon me is nothing in comparison to the social pressure that God can put upon me if I disobey him. Now, of course, this means that you're going to get in trouble from time to time with people around you as you seek to follow God's law rather than the laws of people around you. What do you do in such a situation? You do what the man did. What did the man do when they said to him, you shouldn't be carrying your mat? We read in verse 11, he says, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Don't take the flack yourself. Point the person to Christ. Point the person to God. Explain why you are not going to lie, why you are not going to steal, why you are not going to gossip, because it's you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that he is your authority, and that you would far rather obey God than man. Point people back to God, because God can defend himself quite well enough. Shoulder the blame back onto God. Because we will see as we look at this passage in coming weeks that Jesus is quite able to defend his authority. We'll look at why Jesus can tell people what to do and expect people to do what he tells them to do. Now this means that when people say to you that you should be doing something, that you then point them to Christ. And it can be something as simple as when they say, why don't you support same-sex marriage? Why don't you support two people of the same gender getting married? There's a lot of pressure in our cultural circles that we swim in, even the conservatives, to say, oh, we support traditional marriage because same-sex marriage is damaging to children. It's tradition. How can you change something that's been in place for millennia? Or some people just say, we just don't like the idea of same-sex marriage. And we can be tempted to give such reasons, particularly the one about children. It's a very common one within even Christian circles to say, we support traditional marriage because it's the best place for the raising of children. But what we should not be afraid to say is that we are against same-sex marriage because God is against it. And we'd far rather obey God than the people of our society. Point it back to God. Don't be afraid to say that you're a Christian and you follow God's laws. That it's God who has told you what you should and shouldn't do. And when they say that to you and you point them to Christ, then ask them, what's their authority? What makes them obey some laws but not others? Why do they support same-sex marriage? What is the governing authority in their life? Actually go and challenge them. Because it's quite clear that if there is a God, and he is all-powerful, then he is worthy of being followed and he is worthy of telling people about and you should be willing to disobey the people around us, around you and they should accept that. They should be understanding of that. That if you actually believe what you claim, that it's right and good of you to obey him rather than man. Now this doesn't mean that you won't sometimes get caught in the crossfire. That as people don't like God, don't like his laws, they will attack his people who follow his laws. This man was actually in quite a deadly situation. The Old Testament 
did indeed say that you're meant to rest on the Sabbath, and the penalty for not resting on the Sabbath was death. You can read an incident of it in the Old Testament where a man was found gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Moses asked God, what are we to do with the men? And they stoned him for disobeying God's law. This man was in a deadly situation. And yet he recognised that Christ was the one to be followed. And sometimes we may be in a deadly situation for disobeying people in our lives. And we may get caught in the crossfire as they aim at Jesus. We are there as Christ's representatives and they hate us for it. But remember, at least Jesus won't be shooting at you. Everybody in society may be against you, but Christ won't be. And he is the one that you really don't want turning on you. This has happened again and again in church history, that some people have taken on the whole world is against them. And yet they know that God is behind them, and so they're willing to take on the whole world because they would far rather take on the world than take on Christ and have him against them. So the first thing that we can learn from this passage is that we must obey Christ as a supreme authority. But what else can you learn from this clash between authorities here in John chapter 5? Well, my second main point this morning is that we should learn not to add to Christ's law, that we should not add to Christ's law. See, some of us need to learn from the man here and follow Christ's law when other people are telling us to do the opposite. But some of us may actually need to learn from the Pharisees and not add to Christ's law. We can learn something from the man. We can also learn something from these Pharisees, from these Jews. See, the Pharisees have equated their own laws with God's law. What is it that they say in verse 10? It says, The Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Do they say it's their law that forbids the man to carry his mat? No, they say it is illegal. It's literally, it is not lawful in the Greek. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But it was their addition to God's law that forbade carrying a mat. Yes, the Bible says you're to rest on the Sabbath, that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And passages like Nehemiah 13, which we just read, help to clarify what that meant. You see Nehemiah getting very upset that there are people trading on the Sabbath day in Jerusalem. And he threatens that he will lay hands on them if they continue doing so. But the Pharisees, the Jews here, the Jewish leaders, have missed the point of the law. The law was that you're not supposed to trade and work on the Sabbath day. But they ended up making all these extra laws that have precluded all kinds of other types of work on that day as well. I mean, what was the man doing with his mat? Was he taking it into Jerusalem to sell it? No, he was picking it up to take it home. He wasn't out for business on the Sabbath day in Jerusalem, but they didn't care. What was he supposed to do when Jesus says, get up and walk? Is he meant to leave his mat behind or stand there for the rest of the day and wait for sunset so I can take my mat home? No, it's obvious. The thing that he would do is pick up his mat and take it. He's not selling it. We as Christians and as a church 
must be careful about adding to the laws of God. That's what these Pharisees had done, these Jewish leaders had done. They'd added to the laws of God. And so they had missed something. Why is it that we shouldn't add to the laws of God? Well, what had they missed? They'd missed the important issue in John chapter 5, the grace of God. It's amazing. These Pharisees weren't interested in the miracle at all. They were only interested in their addition to God's law. A man who hadn't been able to walk for 38 years was up and walking. And what are they doing? They're focusing on their little law about this man carrying a mat. They've missed the marvellous grace of God, the power of God that has been displayed in this man's life. After 38 years of being stuck to the ground, he is now walking. And what do they care about? The man's carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. It's ridiculous. They've missed the marvellous grace of God and are focused in on their little law. And the man knew that the big deal of that day was his healing. We see it in verse 11. He says, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. He refers back to the power of God, to the power of Jesus Christ. And what did they say? Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? They don't say, who is this man who made you well? They're not interested in the miracle at all. They're interested in the mat again. And what does the man do? Well, he doesn't know who Jesus is, but he knows Jesus later in verse verse 14. Jesus comes and finds him. And what does the man do in verse 15? The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who told him to pick up his mat. No, that's not what the verse says. What does the man do in verse 15? It says the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Not that it was Jesus who told him to pick up his mat. The man is clearly focused on the miracle of Christ, the grace of Christ displayed in his life. Why? Because he's been the one that's been on the ground for 38 years. He's seen the grace of God. And what are the Pharisees doing? They're focusing on their little law and they've missed grace altogether. And this can often happen. When we start adding to God's law, we begin to overlook grace. This has happened again and again in the history of the church. The early church did this as well. They focused on a law like circumcision. And that became their big interest in the early church was, have you been circumcised or haven't you been circumcised? As a Christian, have you been circumcised or haven't you been circumcised? And they made it necessary for salvation. They overlooked grace and made the big issue circumcision rather than Christ's work at the cross. The whole of the book of Galatians is basically concerned with this. It's looking at how people have focused on circumcision at the expense of the grace of God. And we see this today in different cults that have sprung up over the ages. The Roman Catholics and the Mormon Church take baptism and make it necessary for salvation. They take those things, they take a law like baptism and become more interested in your baptism than in your faith and what you believe about God. The Catholic Church does this by baptising you when you're a baby to start the regeneration process, to start that walk to salvation. 
And the Mormon church really doesn't care about your faith. How do we know this? By the fact that they have baptisms for the dead. Did you know that you can be baptised in the Mormon church on behalf of your ancestors who didn't know Christ at all or trust in him? They're not interested in the grace. They're interested in a law of baptism. It doesn't matter whether your great-granddad didn't believe in Jesus Christ, didn't know the grace of God. What matters is, have you been baptised for him? You see what happens when you start to add to God's law? You start to overlook grace. Now, God's law is good, and we as Christians should follow it. But we can become so focused on the law that we end up missing grace altogether. Now, you may think that this isn't going to happen to you. But even in recent weeks, I've been speaking to people about their salvation, and I spoke to one person, and they were concerned that they couldn't be a Christian, even though they believed in Jesus Christ, because there was a particular sin that they still struggled with. And so because of that sin that they struggled with, they still couldn't be a Christian, even though they believed that Christ died for them. But I can't be a a full Christian until this sin is completely removed from my life. Now, it's a good thing to be concerned about your sin. But it's a bad thing to add a good work, a good law to your salvation. Because what have you done? You've overlooked grace. You've overlooked the fact that God's work at the cross through Jesus Christ pays completely and utterly for all your sin, past, present, future. We've got to be extremely careful about exalting laws at the expense of the grace in our lives. Now, I've got to be very careful here because the Bible is clear that by your fruit you will know whether you are saved or not. And if you struggle with a particular sin, you should be examining yourself to see whether you really do believe in Christ, whether you really do trust that he died for you. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you are doing God's laws completely and fully to be a Christian or not, what matters is, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you had the grace of God work in your life? Have you been healed? Have you been raised as this man was raised after 38 years of being stuck to the ground? See, struggling with sin is more of an assurance issue. It's whether you can look at your life and see that you are indeed saved. It's not a salvation issue. Salvation is concerned with Jesus Christ and his grace shown to us. And so we have to be very careful. Circumcision, baptism, other laws can easily muddy grace when such laws become central as they did for these Jewish leaders here. They were concerned about the law and ignored the grace displayed by Christ's work. And the sad thing is that when you lean upon such laws, when they're the first and foremost thing you're interested in, you can fall straight into hell because you're no longer standing on the grace of God. You're instead standing on good works. These Jews here, it sounds like they're more concerned 
that they'll go to heaven because they don't carry their mats on Sunday than being interested in the Christ on Saturday, I should say, the Sabbath. They don't carry their mats on the Sabbath than being interested in Christ and his grace. So what tendencies do you have to be a Pharisee? In what ways do you add to Christ's law? Who have you looked at and said, they can't possibly be a Christian, despite the fact that there is sign that they trust in Christ, that they love the Lord? But you've got some little law that you have focused in on and said, you can't possibly be a Christian unless you keep that law. It can be something as small as alcohol. You can't drink alcohol and be a Christian. Yes, the Bible is very strict on drunkenness. But we have to remember that it's by grace you are saved. That it's by trusting in Jesus Christ. And we have to be very careful that we are not a Pharisee. That we are not like these Jewish leaders here. And that we don't force people to conform to our standards. Because we can't see the grace of God in their lives. We have to look for the grace of God in their lives. Look at whether they trust in Christ. Whether Christ has indeed changed them and given them a love for himself. Or are we simply focused in on little laws and added those to God's? So from this passage, we need to consider how we need to be like the paralyzed man and obey Christ. But we also need to consider how we should not be like the Jewish leaders here and overlook grace. We should always be looking for grace in people's lives rather than simply focusing on the little laws that we have such a hobby horse about. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that we can see your grace at work in this man's life. Lord, we thank you for the way he keeps pointing people back to Jesus and how his willingness to follow your law rather than the law of the Pharisees was there. Lord, we pray that we may be like that man. May we obey Christ above all else. And when people ask us why, may we point to Christ. Even if it causes us pain in this world, may we fear to have you against us than to have man against us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to not be like these Jewish leaders to not add to your law, that we would be eager to see grace in people's lives, that we would not overlook that someone has been raised to life after 38 years of being paralysed. Lord, we pray that we would always look for faith, for grace, for a trust in you, rather than focus on our little laws. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.